Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey folks, it's Matt Zachary, and welcome to Vax On, a weekly segment of my podcast, Out of Patience, right here on the Offscript Network. Hey, I'm Alura Nanos. I'm a lawyer, a journalist, a mom of a teenage narcoleptic, and a professional big mouth. Lou and I go back 30 years as best friends, and we're here to have fun and bring you a layperson's guide to what the hell just happened this week in healthcare as America gets its vax on and shows COVID the door. We're here together to learn, complain, and include you in the conversation. So join us on Twitter at VaxOnPod and share your stories and grievances using the hashtag VaxOn. All right, Matt, let's get at it. Andrew, hello and welcome to VaxOn. It's me, not Matt Zachary. <laughs> you sounded slightly more serious than Matt usually does. So um, <laughs> you sounded much more redheaded than, than Matt usually sounds. I'm, I'm gingering up the office. I love that little extra spice for today. That's right. That's right. I'm very excited to be re- here with you, Andrew. Uh, and and I, I'm going to I'm going to start this episode of Vaxon with just like a little confession. OK, I'm feeling very philosophical. Philosophical. You are a lover of wisdom. I'm a lover of wisdom. And I'm just feeling like you are the right person to be with me through my mental journey today as we discuss varied COVID-related news. Let us turn our adoration toward wisdom together. <laughs> so so I have to explain why I'm feeling this way. Yeah, I just returned from a one-week vacation with my family out west. Mm. We spent a week in Arizona, and we saw the Red Rocks in Sedona, and I saw the Grand Canyon for the first time. Mm. Is it as grand as they say? It is pretty fucking grand. <laughs> Let me tell you. Have you been there? I haven't. Not it's yet. unbelievable. However big you think it is, it's way bigger than that. My goodness. It, it it honestly is. It's one of those things where, you know, as an adult, I don't I don't feel this way often, but it's one of those things that is not only worth the hype, but it is actually far more profound than I expected it to be, which is that's never how I feel. I, I feel like life is a constant letdown. Not so with the Grand Canyon. <laughs> well, that's good news. Uh, I yeah. am very pleased that I still have something to look forward to. You should. We should go there sometime. <laughs> I'm in. Purple Mountains, Majesty, and the entire thing. Wow. That's spectacular. That's spectacular. I want to go to the Grand Canyon, and I would love for you to be there at that time. We need we need a Vaxxon road trip is what I'm saying. Here, here. Um, and it was it was very interesting because while I was there, the the mask mandate changed while I was on vacation. So everyone was totally confused. Like the bus drivers at the Grand Canyon, they they all the signs were still up that said you had to wear a mask. And then they were kind of like, 
well, you can if you want, but we don't really know what you should do. And everyone was confused. Um, so it was kind of interesting. And we'll talk more about uh, masks later. But, but you know, it is with this in mind, it is with the majesty of our nation in mind that I am going into this discussion, um, you know, feeling sort of serene, which is not how I normally feel. Hmm. And I feel like Matt could never have matched my serenity. But I have faith in you, Andrew, that you're going to walk me through these discussions. <laughs> I'll, I'll do my best. <laughs> Did I sound serene enough? <laughs> that sounded pretty serene. <laughs> I mean, also, everyone in that state was high all the time. Mm. Um, not me, but everyone else was. So it was kind of like, you know, everyone was on that kind of Zen page. Yeah, yeah. They they were appreciating the Purple Mountain's majesty. And, exactly. And, exactly. Uh, how about you? How was your week? How was my week? We went to Columbus, Ohio to see my brother and his family. And nice. while we were there, we uh, on Easter Sunday, it was a little bit cold, but it was sunny and it was Easter. And so we actually went to the Columbus Zoo, a beautiful, beautiful zoo. That sounds like a lovely way to spend Easter. It was. It was a great time and we really enjoyed it. I'm going to just call you out right now, Andrew, for... See, this is why I knew you were the right person to mm. do this episode with me, because only you could return from a trip to Ohio, spending it with family and say, they're all awesome. Yeah. See, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that. It's, uh, it's, it's not a guarantee by any stretch, but, uh, but it was absolutely the case here. It is the right mindset to begin. <laughs> and, and it is with that, it is with that in mind that I invite you to our first segment where I don't know if you saw this article, but I read this really interesting think piece in the New York Times hmm. about COVID as a narrative. And as you know, from listening intently to every episode of Vaxxon, one of the things I'm sort of obsessed with is following how COVID has been used as a storyline in television and movies. Hmm. I'm really interested in that. And I think it's, it's kind of for two reasons. On one hand, I think and this article reminds us that when we put events into a story and we create a narrative, that is as a people kind of how we understand what we've been through mm. and and how we um, communicate it to each other and how we preserve those memories for future generations. Yes. And um, and I, I've been really interested to see that that, you know, although the pandemic is not finished, we have already seen it come up as a plot point. It's actually the the entire plot of certain movies, um, even though we're not even done with it yet, but it's kind of like the artists already know that that's where we're going. So they're going to go ahead and just put it in the storyline now. Yes, that's right. That's right. I, I've, I've noticed it across uh, multiple shows and it makes sense. Do you have any favorite shows that have that have used COVID as a plot point? I think that the most compelling scenes uh, that I think of probably come from the morning show. They sent out a team, I guess, of brilliant motion photographers. There were drones, etc. And they just covered New York City um, throughout this, this empty, empty version of New York City, which was very curiously beautiful and striking and sad and haunting. And 
and it was very moving. The way in which COVID-19 played into that particular season of the show wasn't something that I had an incredible amount of appreciation for. It was, you know, it was played for comedy. It was something that led some of the characters to, to get stuck in a foreign country. I will avoid spoilers. But the coverage, the way in which that particular sequence was laid out in front of us was stunning. I thought so too. I, I'm a huge fan of the morning show. Yeah. Um, do you know for a fact, was that footage shot during the pandemic? Is that what happened? Like they knew they were going to use it, so they shot it? I can only imagine that that's what they did. See, I, I immediately just decide like, oh, this is movie magic. And they like edited out all the cars and stuff. I wasn't sure that it actually was filmed during that time. But now that you say it, it probably was. It might be a um, composite. They might have perfected the sense of emptiness by editing out some cars and some right. a couple it, of individuals who might have popped in. Yeah, I thought it was pretty profound. And and what I liked, and, and this is, will not be a spoiler for anyone, what I like, though, is that as, um, you know, they kept talking about what date it was. So it was like first it was January, then February. And as you were getting toward March, it was kind of like we all knew what was coming. And as it approached the middle of March, you saw the characters in the show sort of start to freak out a little. Mm. And um, I actually found it weirdly comforting because it was like watching them was like watching my own memory. It was so strange. I don't remember ever being in that situation before where I was watching um, a crisis unfold in fiction and I had my own memory of feeling like the characters in the show did. But then I was able to have the comfort of knowing that, you know, I'm okay and, you know, th the worst part of it passed and now there's a vaccine and I'm not nearly as frightened as I was back in March of 2020. And it's just an interesting experience, I think, watching, even though it's fiction, just watching that unfold. Um, you know, I I remember when 9-11 started to become a plot point in movies and television shows, and I remember feeling extremely uncomfortable about it. And um, I just, you know, I just think it, it's an interesting thing to see how these collective experiences then work their way into art. Yeah, it certainly is. That effect of you know, knowing what's about to happen to these people and then seeing it finally land on them in the way that it did for each of us. And then being able to think to ourselves sometimes from a certain angle that the worst has passed. It gives you the thrill ride of a nightmare. You know, some, some, yeah. some think that that's what the purpose of a nightmare is. It's about to make, it's about making you feel more secure within reality. Yeah, if no, exactly. Possible. And you know what's interesting that the article pointed out is that um, the Spanish flu, which of course most of us did not think all that much about until March of 2020, mm -hmm. um, the Spanish flu was not really something that left a major footprint in the cultural landscape. Um, I only remember actually ever watching one thing where the Spanish flu was a plot point, And that was in one season of Downton Abbey. Mm -hmm. They had that the whole house was affected by the Spanish flu and a couple of people passed away. And I remember watching that for the first time and being like, wait a minute, I, I don't, I, I guess I knew this happened, but it really was not in the front of my mind at all. Um, and that's interesting to me that so many people, you know, obviously, you know, thousands and thousands of people were affected by the Spanish flu. Um, but it kind of is relegated to something 
you know, far, far away, um, that doesn't come up often, which is interesting. Yeah, it was it was sort of swallowed by the Great War in terms of in terms of narrative, narrative punch. Kind of like we have a better crisis. So we're going to go with that one instead. Oh, yeah. I mean, those those stories overwhelm the story of of a big thing that is not a human taking the lives of millions of people. Yeah. Although I'm, if I'm being totally honest, of all of these crises, the one that sticks with me the most is that damn outbreak monkey. <laughs> I'm traumatized by the outbreak monkey still. Oh, the outbreak monkey is is uh, is is very scary and concerning. Yes, right. That I will. That scene with that little girl going in the backyard, drawing the picture of the monkey, and trying to get the monkey in her—that scared the shit out of me. And I have never gotten over it. Fearsome, fearsome. There's also the opening twenty eight days later. Oh, I didn't see that one. Yeah, well, that's that's one of that's one of the finest zombie movies ever made. Oh, I try to stay away from zombie stuff. It's it's too much for me. That's understandable. It's understandable. I like realistic crises in my fiction. <laughs> yes, and you know this this network is uh, it would be an entirely different thing if the pandemic had not come to pass. We'd be true producing shows in a completely different way. We'd per- be performing uh, a very significantly different role in society than we are. And so on. Andrew, I wasn't prepared to talk about our own significance. But see, you brought it. I told you to philosophize and there it is. <laughs> I'm here for you. This, see, that's the ginger coming in right there. <laughs> you never let me down, Mr. McDowell. Thank you, Alora. Thank you very much. <laughs> so, you know, on that note, we should probably talk about what's going on in Beijing. Let's. Things are locked down. There's already shortages of things and there's runs on stores and it just sounds like a total mess. And quite frankly, you know, I'm, I'm a little wrapped up in my own day-to-day life right now, especially since I just got back from vacation. I sort of can't believe that this is what's happening. What do you have for me about this? I think that we know that uh, China adopts a very different approach uh, and response to COVID-19. Uh, they have the zero COVID policy in place, and it is every freedom-loving person's nightmare. Uh, this, it, if, if there is a place on earth where population control has been maximized in response to a crisis that may or may not warrant it, it is China. And so I think that what, what, everyone is responding to in Beijing right now is essentially not a severe fear of the virus, but rather concern about losing my ability to associate freely with others. You know, we all know from from our limited experience being locked down, that's a really, really big loss, not only on an emotional level, um, but on, you know, or on a financial level, because there's certainly business, um, you know, fallout from that. But but it's just like it goes to the heart of who you are as a person. And any kind of lockdown is such a severe thing. What, what exactly is the caseload in China? Do you have that in front of you? Beijing has reported 70, 70 local transmitted cases in eight of its 16 districts. 
There are 21.5 million people in Beijing, and that was four years ago. And 70 people is 0.00003% of the population. You know, it's, what, what's interesting to me, I, I, I'm going to warn you, I'm going back to philosophizing a little bit. Um, you know, obviously, as Americans, we look at this and we can say, like, this is just an outrageous um, restriction on freedoms and and it doesn't really seem warranted based on the numbers. Um, and And although that is absolutely, you know, what I believe, given the numbers here, there's a part of me that just dislikes ever criticizing anyone for being too careful. Um, No, and so, and this is like a perfect example of that. Obviously, this is overly harsh. You know, obviously, we would never want such restrictions here, especially based on such tiny numbers. But I don't know if this is like my mom thing. I don't know if it's cultural or if it's just my own risk tolerance. But it always makes me uncomfortable to criticize anyone, individual, any country, anything, for being too cautious when it comes to COVID or any other kind of health related thing, I always feel like, well, I'm glad I, I don't want to do that, but um, sure, go ahead. <laughs> Even when I can say objectively, they are too cautious. Well, I think that I have the, I can't possibly be absolutist about it, especially when we're talking about a government as opposed to an individual making decisions about their own life. Um, you know, a government that controls this has the ability to control this many people uh, being far too careful about COVID. That I don't have any hesitation about casting a critical eye on it. Uh, the people of Beijing, the people of Shanghai are about to begin experiencing perhaps what the people of Shanghai are experiencing, which is. Once again, complete isolation from one another. Your home, their, their home is being turned back into a very comfortable prison. And, uh, and that's, it's, it's just too much. Yeah. I mean, I certainly agree with that. And especially when you start to throw in that the government's responsibility is to, you know, to whatever extent you believe it is to protect or serve uh, its people, you know, looking at COVID in a vacuum here. Um, which is what it seems like is happening, um, you know, in doing, in taking all these measures to protect against COVID, what other problems are being caused between, you know, depression and, and to say nothing of things like domestic abuse um, and just all kinds of mental health issues. Um, you know, there are there's so much fallout from these lockdown procedures. But, you know, the the, the thing is that that there are incentives that go beyond stopping the spread that the Chinese government could clearly have in mind in deciding to shut everyone away from one another. Right. Uh, and that is, of course, the, the, uh, the, the multiple reasons that China's population might have for wishing to see changes in the way that they're governed. Uh, right. You look at the way that China responds to its Uyghur minority. Uh, it's, it's, it's devastating. It's appalling. It's atrocious. It's, it's, it's evil. And, and so when the case is so strong for changes to be made in 
terms of the way in which the government operates in China, it's hard to ignore the possibility that the decision-making is heavily influenced by the convenience of keeping people away from one another. Yeah. All good points and, and sort of depressing points. I'll um, say. I mean, especially since there's pretty much nothing we can do about this. Um, but I think it's important that we know and think about it and, and keep it in mind as context so that when people here complain about whatever we, sh- we are being told that we can and cannot do to, to really understand the, the broad spectrum of what governments do, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. it's an authoritarian regime. One of the finest allies of Russia. Oh, okay. All right. Well, I'm not feeling great right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, on that note, before we get into anything else that's super depressing, let's have some very uplifting ads, okay? Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Delve into the shadows of the mind. With Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs. Now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Oh, those were good ads. Do you feel better now? I'm, I'm greatly cheered. <laughs> okay, terrific. Then it's a perfect time to talk about what's <laughs> happening with the nationwide mask mandate. Oh, good. Yeah. Let's chat about that. Yeah, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a little legal on you for a minute here. Um, so you know a federal judge struck down the nationwide mask mandate for airplanes and other travel, right? I do. And for non-lawyers out there, they you may not realize um, what is truly controversial about these kinds of rulings. So before we even talk about whether or not it's a good thing to drop the masks, there is a, a kind of an underlying legal issue about whether or not a federal district judge even has the authority to do anything that covers the entire country. This is a sort of ongoing debate. The federal court system is like a big chain, right? So it's supposed to operate sort of like McDonald's, um, that it's, it, you know, 
essentially you get the same justice everywhere you go uh, to any district in the country. But it, it also is understood that each federal court and each circuit court only serves its immediate area. So although they're connected, you, you're not going to see a federal court in New Jersey issue orders that relate to things in Mississippi. It, it just doesn't really work that way for the most part. Um, so to have district judges you know, issuing orders that bind the entire country for something that is very location specific, like mask wearing or travel restrictions. Um, it's a little odd. It's preposterous. This is a court order that applies to airplanes and air travel. So they're like federal oh, it's spaces. interstate stuff anyway. Okay. I was in the very curious position of already being on vacation when this happened. Mm -hmm. um, so... I flew out to Arizona from Philadelphia and we had our N95 masks on in the airplane and in the Philadelphia airport, well, we were departing, every single person everywhere had masks on um, when we were leaving. And, you know, it's a long day. I have children that were traveling with me and, you know, we had our masks on from the minute we left in the Uber through a five-hour flight in the airport, you know, it was it was a long day of being masked. Um, but, you know, it made me feel safe that everyone around me was masked the whole time. Mm -hmm. And then while I was on vacation, they changed the rules. And I kind of realized, you know, I, I was there actually at the Grand Canyon. And I was like, oh, no, we're going to go on the airplanes and God knows what's going to be going on. And... When I got to the airport in Phoenix um, to, to come back home, hardly anybody in the airport had masks on. I would say probably about 20% of the people had masks on. Sounds right. Um, on the airplane, probably about, I don't know, 20 to 30% of the people had masks on on the plane. And um, our flight attendants made an announcement that said, you're no longer required to wear masks on this plane but we do require you to act with respect toward the people around you, regardless of what they choose to do, which I thought was a nice announcement. That's a good announcement. It, it was a good announcement. Um, by contrast, I'm looking at these videos that I've seen of, you know, people just rejoicing over the dropping of the mask mandate. And whenever I see it, as much as I'm happy to take my own mask off, you know, when it's safe to do so, and I will be very glad when there's no more reason to wear masks. The idea of rejoicing over a mandate being lifted just seems really stupid to me. Oh my God, yes. Like it's very, kind of like very melodramatic. Very melodramatic and, and totally misplaced. Like, what is it that you're celebrating? Like, I, I don't get it. You're celebrating like that's like celebrating that the speed limit is is gone. <laughs> or, or that, it, or really, just that maybe you can go five miles per hour faster. I mean, it's it's so it's so minor in itself. But all of the fucking weight that's been applied to it by the previous administration and the the decision to turn it into a symbol that defines you as being on one side or another. Yeah of an idiotic conflict that shouldn't exist at all that 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 has done so much harm to us as a society it has it has and and it's it, you know and it's terrible because i hate when i see that 
um, I'm drawn into that, you know, into that, that kind of one side, the other side mentality. And, you know, it was when we were traveling, um, on the way, while, while the mandate was still in effect, there was a family near us and, um, they were all wearing these like American flag t-shirts and they all, half of them had no masks and the other half had the masks like under their chin while we were on a bus all together. And my kids immediately looked at them and turned to me and said, oh, it's those kind of people. Like they knew immediately. And it was based on nothing other than the flag shirts and the not wearing the masks. Like they didn't know anything else about these people. And, you know, and I was like, oh, you know, I hate that. I really hate it. Um, But there's sort of no other way to interpret people's actions. Like when I see people clapping and cheering over this, I have no choice but to say, these are people that think so differently from me, you know, because I, I couldn't think anything is stupider than, than rejoicing over this. <laughs> and um, the whole thing just really pisses me off. You know, the idea that people would only take a precaution if they're forced to do it. Like grow up. <laughs> You're, yeah. And not and to, not and, to and, mention. And, and, and really, you know, I, I, the very unfortunate fact is that, you know, this show starts out in the intro. We talk about, you talk about uh, how we are showing COVID the door. America <laughs> is showing COVID the door. But, you know, regrettably, it seems that we are showing it a revolving door. <laughs> yes, seriously. Because, also, yeah. because you know... We have BA2 now. We have variants of BA2. When you look at the UK, which is never a fun thing to do uh, when it comes to COVID-19, because what happens in the UK shows up in New York several weeks later, almost uh, ever since ever since 2020. Mm-hmm. And what's happening with, with BA2 is that the caseload, okay? This is, this is scary because there is a narrative out there that might be changing soon. There's a narrative out there that talks about how with Omicron, with BA1 in particular, hospitalizations, severe cases, have been decoupled from caseload. Meaning when you see a huge uptick in cases, there doesn't seem to be a corresponding uptick in hospitalizations. However, in the UK, the caseload in January of 2022 was at a rolling seven-day average of about 202,000. That was the caseload. The hospitalizations at that time were at about 2,100. Again, a seven-day rolling daily average. Now, this is what's scary. Right now, the caseload in the UK has a rolling seven-day daily average of 97,000 cases. Okay, so that's good, right? That's, that's right now. Yeah, so it's less than half. You know, it's not good. The hospitalization level is the same. Mm, that's no good. Right. So there is an out that we can choose to look at if we want. 
And that is that testing is also way down in the UK. So we might just not know about all the cases that are out there. Ah, okay. That but in any be. case, um, it is a cause for concern. There are also studies that have been done that suggest that BA2 is does cause more severe disease because it has a it's more likely to get down into the lungs as opposed to sticking around the upper respiratory system. This is all based on research that I did before this session with you. Uh, I knew you wanted to philosophize. I thought I'd bring some data. <laughs> so, so what the numbers I just cited come from uh, coronavirus.data.gov.uk. There's also a really excellent uh, rundown of where things stand across the board with COVID-19 in National Geographic. And it's, a, it's an article that I strongly recommend. And it Where they is, also have pictures of the Grand Canyon, by the way. <laughs> they sure do. Uh, it's called, Here's What We Know About the BA2 Omicron Subvariant Driving a New COVID-19 Wave. Oh, boy. So, I mean, I, and I, I'm going to take it from a completely different angle, which is like, if you're on an airplane, there's an entire freaking industry of Zycam and airborne and all of that shit that you take to not get other viruses when you're on an airplane because we all get sick when we're on airplanes for hours with other people. I don't understand why we can't just continue to do things that are safe so that we all just don't get any sick. We don't get COVID. We don't get BA2. We don't get the flu. We don't get other things. Um, can't we just do that? Like, is it such a big deal? It, it, it really is the most demented thing in the world it, it, because this this particular this particular virus it, it just exists in a completely different section of everyone's minds it's, yeah they're like oh well if it's covid then we have to make sure to do as little as possible i, I just don't understand it because otherwise we're we're we're, we're pulling apart our freedoms but so many of these people are the same people that are afraid of so many different things from crime to other illnesses to cancer to whatever. And they're willing to be, you know, vigilant uh, or at least to say that they're vigilant about other things, you know. And but it's like if it's COVID, then we'd rather take the risk. It just doesn't make sense to me. Yep. And I feel like if there is a way to minimize illness you know, but, and that thing that you can do doesn't really upend whatever your plans are. Why can't you just do it? Like, what is the big damn deal? Right. Yeah. And, I, I and, just and if, don't understand. And if your leader, if your leaders, if the people that you look to as people you admire politically are talking to you about COVID in a way that is somehow related to getting you to the polls to getting you to make a donation to them or in China and getting you to stop associating with other people, then you might want to get yourself some other political leaders. Yeah. Well, you know, the thing, the thing about it, Andrew, is that so many people elect in particular local leaders mm -hmm. uh, because they like to see outrage. You know, they like, they like to see people being pissed off. It's just like a thing. And you know, I've spent a lot of time on cable news hmm. and um, I'm going to give you a little behind the curtain secret here. So when when I spent a lot of time as a talking head on cable news, um, 
you know, I would, I would want to be listening really intently to what the other guests were saying so that I could respond appropriately and to buy myself a little bit of time to process the information. I would start every appearance by saying, that's outrageous. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and, and the bottom line is anger when it comes to media, when it comes to politics, anger really sells. People love seeing uh, individuals who are good at sounding angry. Um, people love to see outrage because, and, and they often admire it. They admire people who are able to articulate their outrage and seem really fierce about it. And I understand that it's sort of like a human reaction that like when you think that someone's anger is really justified it's um, kind of entertaining and heartening sometimes to see them really be fierce. It makes them seem like a hero. And I State understand Senator the- McMallory is a beautiful example of, of uh, someone I recently got very excited about on that level. She is a state senator from Michigan, I believe. Well, she gave a highly justified, very compelling, very civil speech, which was indeed you know, fueled by outrage because she had recently been targeted by a political opponent uh, and accused of being a groomer of children, oh. Uh, oh. which is which is a, uh, a QAnon-inspired yes. load of absolute horseshit that mm-hmm. uh, is being used to manipulate people. Yep. And so she gave a very stirring speech that responded directly to this email that her disgusting political opponent had put out uh and and i'm sure it was great to watch right because when you when you agree with someone um you know and and they have justifiable outrage it sometimes is like really satisfying to Mm -hmm. watch them uh rant right yep did you see that the um that that jackass with the gym in new jersey is running for office (laughs) no running for congress in new jersey uh, not far from where I live. This is a guy who, you know, he became famous because Tucker Carlson liked hearing him talk about how he didn't, he refused to close his gym. Um, he's running for Congress. And this is a guy who is a convicted manslaughterer. Like this, this is a guy who is so irresponsible um, that I believe he served time in prison for killing somebody. Yeah. And and this is a person that people are going to rally behind only because they like to see him do the outrage dance. Yeah, it's 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 a drug. It's yeah. a drug that we need to get off of. <laughs> oh, Andrew, I have not heard someone put it like that, and I knew you would be there for me. <laughs> outrage is a drug we need to get off of. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. See, I knew you would have something like that for me. <laughs> That's the ginger right there. That's me. Yes. I want a bumper sticker that says that. It 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 it, it emerges in 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 rare cases and uh, and and it's often in conversation with you, Laura. I I just love it. That it is why I have you. I always emerge from our conversations feeling like wiser, you know, and more calibrated. <laughs> Yes. Well, I'm 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 happy to happy to do what I can, and I love talking yeah. to you, Laura. I love talking with you too, Andrew. Um, so I, I mean, Matt will be back next week, I believe. Oh, he will. Oh, he will. All Matt right, we'll be back. Yeah, he's uh, he's he's currently traversing the country without a mask on, presumably. Well, I hope you have a lovely week, Andrew. Um, feel free to call me and philosophize with me anytime. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know I will. Yes, I, I, I really hope you it's do. It's what we do. It, it is what we do here at Vaxon. Um, yeah. So thanks, everyone, for listening. And we hope I hope everyone has gotten as much out of this conversation as I had because, you know, it just is a little extra special when I have a McDowell here with me. Exactly. Well, let's, let's stroll on through that uh, revolving exit door together. Yes. Let's show COVID the door, shall we? <laughs> the revolving door. <laughs> All right, Andrew, have a great week and I'll see you soon. Thank you, Laura. You too. That's all for now. If you like Facts On, be sure to subscribe, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, follow us on social, and tell all your friends to listen. Tell us your shit show of a healthcare story by leaving a message for us at 855-AUDIO-66, and we might just use it in a future show. Vaxon is a product of Offscript Health. We are a healthcare engagement company built for patients and caregivers by patients and caregivers. Our executive producers are Matthew Zachary and Andrew McDowell. Our senior producer is Brianna Seely. Our hosts are Matthew Zachary and Alora Nanos. It is recorded, mixed, and edited by Brianna Seely. For advertising and media inquiries, email media at offscriptnot.com. That's media at offscript.com. For more information, visit offscript.com. <laughs>